0: Thank you for your presence in this place, Lord. We're like the deer panting after the water tonight. We pray that you will anoint our speaker and bless this time. We give you all the glory and praise tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Beautiful song. Thank you so much. That song was requested by our speaker. I just want to mention to you the schedule for the conference is out on the screen in the lobby. I'm not going to take the time to go through it. It's out there. The debate is tomorrow afternoon. I do want to quickly mention we have uh, Mark Evans here tonight. Mark, would you please stand? Pastor Mark Evans, there he is. He'll be speaking tomorrow. You don't want to miss that. And also, Evangelist Mike Manuel's in the house. Mike's going to be debating a professor from uh, the University of North Carolina. Where's Mike at? He's here. I saw him. There he is. God bless you, Mike. Give him a hand clap. I believe that's a wonderful way to set the atmosphere for Joe to come and minister. Joe Naughton is a woman who brings many diverse and rich perspectives to her ministry. In addition to pastoring a lively multicultural church, which is called Harvest Church London, along with her husband, Paul, in England, she has launched an exciting ministry both in her home country and here in the U.S. called Healed for Life. Uh, Coming from a background in business and working as the vice president of Prince Charles Most prestigious charitable trust. She brings a unique vision to speaking to life's greatest challenges and most beautiful opportunities. She is dedicated to seeing people everywhere tap into their destiny and full potential in God's grace. She's an author. She's a very anointed speaker. I love to read her blog, it's one of my favorite blogs on the net. Uh, I just think she brings a tremendous energy and love for people when she comes. Please welcome from London, England. Joe Naughton. Come on, Pastor Joe. Love you. God bless you. Thank you so
1: much. Praise God. Thank you so much, Randy. Um, It's such a privilege and an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, It is such a blessing to me, and thank you. It's been such a joy meeting Carol and Pastor Don yesterday, um, and just your love and hospitality in this place. It's a great, great joy to be with you. Um, As Randy mentioned, um, I'm from London, England, as you can probably hear, and um, my husband and I have two children, two teenagers. My son is now six foot three and 16, and still growing, and picks me up, and I'm like, put me down. Um, and my daughter is 15, so I have a 16 and a 15-year-old. Um, and, um, and our church is a real blessing and a joy over in London. As Randy mentioned, we have, um, last count, it was 36 different nations. And one thing I think you will be encouraged to hear about 25% of our people are ex Muslim, saved out of Islam. So it, it's really awesome. You know, people are feeling very threatened by Islam and, 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 and rightly so. But God is turning it all around. And we are seeing souls saved. Um, we have a really thriving Iranian fellowship. And we are just seeing God move in the most amazing ways. People having dreams, seeing a, a man in white, and knowing it's Jesus, and people having the most supernatural encounters. And the amazing thing, when, you know, especially these Iranian people, when, when, when these people who were Muslims give their life to Jesus, they will come to me, and they will say, Pastor Joe. I am now ready to die for Jesus. You know, and when they are giving their life, they know I'm really giving my life. So it's, it's so challenging and inspiring and amazing just seeing what God is doing. But it's a joy to be here. And one of the secrets that I try to keep from my people um, in London, and, and I don't even mention it too often around my husband, is that my heart beats for this nation. I mean, God has given me such a love for the United States of America, to the extent that I feel like I love it a bit more than my own nation. That's the bit I don't tell them. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so it's a real joy and a real privilege to be with you these two days. And I believe that God is going to do something amazing. You know, I don't know about you, but... I don't believe that we've got time to waste. And, you know, I believe that when we come together as believers, as fellow ministers, as just fellow disciples of Jesus, that when we come together, that we need God to do something that is going to change us forever. Yeah. That every time we come into his presence, that we can place a demand. On heaven. And I love the theme of this conference. I love it because, you know, we can have what heaven has. We don't need to wait until we get there. And so I am just so excited about what God is going to do over these two days. And I believe He's given me a word for you. And um, I just want to open in prayer. So if you just shut your eyes for a moment, thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I bow my knee before you. My God, my daddy, our creator, my all in all, my everything. I submit myself to you. And Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would have your way tonight, that you would do something new. In each and every one of our lives, that we would leave this place with a deposit from your Spirit that will mark us forever. And we will always give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you know, there is a particular scripture, I'm sure, um, like me, there are certain verses in the Bible that you just think, that's mine. I own that. Anyone like that? that you've, you've got scriptures in the Bible and you own them. Anyone else might say they're, they're their verse, but you know that's my verse. And, and one of my verses is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And where it says, guard your heart." With all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And you know, I I love to just dig into the word and see it in, in in different translations. And you know, when you look at that, you know that scripture is saying, "God," it's saying, "Keep, tend to." In other words, the way that we would tend to our backyards and our gardens. The Bible is telling us to tend to, to work on, to protect, to nurture our hearts. Above all that we look after. Really interesting. That we would pay more attention to our hearts than we do to anything else, that scripture is saying. And then it's the why bit that is amazing. Because from it flow the issues of life. The New Living Translation puts it like this. It says for it determines the course of your life. Wow. You know, it's not my education, not my upbringing, not the nation I'm from. It's not who I know, except upwards. It's my heart, according to the Bible, that would determine how my life turns out. You know, and the the Bible says some other really interesting things about the heart, and this is just by way of introduction. You know, we know where it says in Jeremiah, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things, you know, and I don't know, and I don't think anyone can really know whether it's saying that the most deceitful thing that exists is the heart, or whether it's saying that of everything that heart is capable of being and doing, deceit is its greatest capability. It's not obvious which one it is. But what it is telling us in that scripture is that our hearts have a propensity for deception. Are you hearing me? We're going on a journey tonight. Let me put that more simply. I'm very simple. I spent years and years in marketing and communications and And one thing I always had to do was how to say something in the most simple way so everyone would understand, so that I could understand first. But you see, that put simply is this, that my heart is very capable of lying to me. Our hearts lie to us. You know, we we will often believe certain things to be the truth that just aren't the truth. Because we're actually believing a lie. And this isn't something that just applies to non-believers. You know, this is, this is our book written to us. You know, and so my, my heart has a propensity to deception and to lie to me. But my heart also determines the course of my life. So you see, it's really interesting then that in that next verse afterwards, in verse 10 of Jeremiah 17 it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. In other words, my heart is really, really important to God because, you know, the the state of my heart will determine to what extent God can use me. Are you hearing me? My heart will determine whether I will fulfill all my destiny, all my potential, or just part of it. My heart, is the thing that is going to make the difference in my life. And yet, my heart will lie to me. So when I think it's all fine, <laughs> we're going somewhere, it might not be quite so fine. And so as a result, the Bible says, I, the Lord, don't worry. Your heart lies to you, so I am going to search. And the interesting thing, that word search. You know, I only search when something is really complex. And when, you know, if someone says to me, where's your Bible? I'm going to tell you, it's there. I don't have to search for it. I only have to search when something is hidden. And so the Lord is saying, you know, I want to search your hearts. And I believe what he's saying is over these two evenings that I'm with you, that God is saying, do you know what? I want to search your hearts. I want permission to search. I want to shine my light. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. I love this verse. It says, That the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, shining into the inner depths of the heart. Wow. If you look at the Hebrew, it actually says, into the rooms of the belly of the heart. In other words, our hearts have these different rooms and places and crevices. But the spirit of the Lord wants to shine his light into the depths of our hearts. Why? Because our hearts determine the course of our lives and he wants to shine his light on anything that is trying to hold us back. Are you hearing me? You know, here's a quick question. How many of you, and my hand's right up there, but how many of you, you have... At the moment, unfulfilled dreams, desires for things you want to do for the Lord. Put up your hand if that's you. Things that we know, God, I want to do this for you. It's my heart's desire. And sometimes we think we're waiting on God. But every now and then he's just saying, I'm just waiting for the opportunity to deal with this one thing. I want to shine my light into that one corner of your heart where you've just been saying, Ooh, I want to go there. So I believe that God wants to do something this evening. But I want to, as we begin, I want to really invite you and I want to ask you if I could lead you in prayer just to invite the spirit of truth into this place. Because I have seen so many monumental moments in my life where the defining moment has been when truth has suddenly entered in. And suddenly I've known the truth. And when I've known the truth, that truth has been able, of course, to set me free. So I would love just to lead you in prayer. If you please shut your, ha- shut your eyes and put your hand on your heart. And I would love to lead you in prayer. We're going to pray to the Spirit of Truth. That is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. So if we just pray together, Holy Spirit of Truth, shine your light into my heart. Reveal any obstacle. Reveal any issues hiding. Anything preventing your glory. From flowing through me. Do something new in me tonight, I pray, that I may bring your love and your kindness in greater measure to the lives around me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I want to share looking at someone's life tonight um, in, in Scripture. And sometimes it's, I find it really helpful sometimes to almost pretend that I haven't heard stories in the Bible before. Do you know what I mean? It's like, like starting OVS. Because if you're anything like me, I mean, I, I I heard stories from when I was a child, and so sometimes almost I, I, I knew things, and yet I was no longer hearing them with a fresh, you know, a fresh something. And so I want to just for a moment look at the life of Saul, Saul in the Old Testament, and I want us to look at him as though we've never met this man before. Is that okay? And I want us to look at the word and to read what the word says and to get some insights into this man's life. And if, if everything that I said at the beginning is the introduction to where we're going to go, because you see, it's our hearts that determine the course of our lives. And you know, you know the context of, of the life of Saul. The people of Israel had cried to God and said, we want a king. And you know, the Bible says that God, you know, and anything the Bible says in the New Testament is relevant whenever in time, because God doesn't change. And the Bible says that he's the father of lights, and in him there is no shadow of turning at all. He's all good. And so when we ask God for something, he will always give us something good. Is that true? He won't give us a snake. He won't give us something bad. And so the people of Israel had been praying, and and they'd cried out for a king. And I want us to introduce the man that God chose. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses, and I am in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and I'm just reading, first of all, the first couple of verses, although I'll miss out a bunch of names. (laughs) It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, and he was the son of several people. (laughs) And it says, he was a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now, recently I read that and it bothered me. It really bothered me because I prayed and I said, God, why would you choose a man based on his looks? Because even just a few chapters later, we're told God is no respecter of looks. He chose this man's you know, successor and deliberately said, Don't look at his appearance. So I'm reading this scripture and said, Lord, you said you look for a heart. So why in your word does it say here or it implies, it doesn't say chosen because he was handsome, but it implies it. And I said, Lord, this is bothering me. I'm not happy. And I really got into God's face because I'm allowed because I'm his little girl. (laughs) And I got into his face and I said, God, this makes no sense to me. And if you know, you need to explain this. And so I did what I like to do, which I'm sure all of you do too. I went into the Hebrew and I looked up the word handsome. And it is a Hebrew word, Tob, T-O-B. And it's used, I haven't, I actually, oh, had my iPad stolen sadly on my way here. So I couldn't get my exact numbers. But somewhere in the region, it's used about 500 times in the Old Testament. And about 95% of the times that word tob is used, it's translated good. Once beautiful, about 500, are you hearing me? And I think that's the only time it's translated handsome. And I went to the Young's Literal Translation And it says, there was not a more goodlier man of all the sons of Israel. Wow. And I felt like God was telling me something. You see, I believe in this instance, and you look virtually every translation says handsome. Do you know why I believe they did it? Because they couldn't square it up. They couldn't make sense. You see, we know the end of the story. Isn't that true? They couldn't make sense of the end of the story, and so they could not translate this word here, that there was not a more goodlier man of all the sons of Israel than this man. But I believe that that word should be as it is in hundreds of times in the old, right at the beginning where God says, and he created everything, and he says, and it was good, Tob, good, Tob. It's the same word. You see, I believe that God would never choose something for his people that wasn't good. What am I saying? God chose Saul because he was a good man with a good heart. Are you hearing me? God chose him because he loved the people. And God chose him because he said, this is someone I can work with. You see, God is never looking for someone who's arrived. Thank the Lord. (laughs) amen. He's looking for someone who says, you can use me. He's looking for someone who's available, who is not perfect, but who's willing to be molded and changed and who will say, I surrender. And so you see, God looked across all of Israel and he chose Saul because Saul was a good man. And, and, and God anointed Saul, the Bible says. And God gave a promise to Saul. And through the most accurate prophet that ever walked the earth. And also remember, Samuel believed in Saul. You remember how brokenhearted Samuel was when Saul failed? Are you remembering? I mean, God had to say to Samuel, get over it now. I'm already moving on. It's time for you two. Samuel was brokenhearted because Samuel believed in this guy. Don't tell me Samuel couldn't see a good man when he... This was a good man. God chose him when he, because he was a good man. You see, it's our hearts that determine the course of our lives. Saul had a good heart, but... Say, but... If you remember back the story, I'm not going to go through it all, but when he first met Prophet Samuel, and Samuel said, you're the one who's going to lead the, the nation, you know, all of Israel's desire is on you. And he said, what are you talking about? This is, this is kind of Joe translation, so forgive me for a moment. What are you talking about? Look, I'm just a Benjamite, smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family, were nothing. Why are you speaking to me like this? Inadequacy. Ever felt like that? I mean, you know, I remember, you know, I'm just an English girl. And I remember when God started to call me to America, I'm going, God, no, that's a big country. And they're all like big and people and they talk loudly and I'm just English. I felt inadequate. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, at first I found you guys very scary. very normal reaction, isn't it? Just that sense of, I'm, I'm not enough. And then we, we see even further exposed his sense of inadequacy, that, that just insecurity. The very day, I mean, it, it's almost ridiculous, but the very day that this man is about to be presented to Israel, And Samuel, Prophet Samuel is there, and there's everybody there, and they're all waiting for the announcement of the king, and Samuel's ready to announce, and he did it in a really dramatic way. It's this tribe, and then this clan, and then this, you know, and he's narrowing it down, and then he goes, and it is Saul. Where's Saul? I mean, literally, the guy's hiding. I mean, he's hiding. You read it. Hiding. 1 Samuel 10, verse 22, they had to pray. He was hiding so well that they had to pray and ask God where he was. I mean, you know, it's not the kind of hide and seek you do with, you know, your children or grandchildren. This is the kind where, I mean, he's well hidden among the equipment. And eventually comes out. Why? He's he's insecure. He doesn't feel good enough. He doesn't feel like he qualifies. You know, and he has two really good years where he he does the right thing. But you see, this, this is where I want us to get to. You see, the faults in our structural foundations on the inside only get amplified by success. Shall I say that again? The faults in our structural, in our structural foundations get amplified by success. So you see, Saul didn't feel good enough. What did he feed on? We know the praises of people. He didn't feel enough. When the ladies came back singing, saying Saul's killed a bunch of people, he was, yes, few they like me, I'm okay then. You know, he felt, he felt all right about himself when everyone was celebrating him. But then he just couldn't handle it when they started celebrating someone else. Because, you see, that's what insecurity does. If I'm feeling insecure about myself and you get promoted above me, I'm going to feel really uncomfortable about that. If I've been believing God for a breakthrough and someone else gets theirs and I'm still waiting, I am going to wobble. You see, the Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of this world. He chose Saul in the midst of his inadequacy and insecurity, knowing that if Saul had really looked to him, God knew, I can deal with this man's heart. God's the ultimate heart surgeon. He Chooses the foolish things of this world, but how does he use us to confound the wise? By sorting us out. Are you hearing me? By sorting out the mess on the inside. You know, God wants to do a work, I believe, in each one of us, where we give him that permission to shine his light on some of those hidden things on the inside. You know, I want to share a little bit about my story. Um, Many years ago, God spoke to me. I, I, was, I was ministering at a very small women's meeting, and God asked me to share something that I thought was private. I mean, it's a joke to me that I thought it was private now, but I shared it, quivering like a wreck, with these 20 or 30 women sitting there. And afterwards, the moment I'd finished sharing, and I'm still ministering. And I heard the Lord say, and Joe, never again will you withhold something about your life that could get someone else's life set free. So I have a mandate from God to be very, very open. And when I mess up, normally I end up sharing about it within about a fortnight. (laughs) If it's going to have the chance to get someone else free. Otherwise, I get to... (laughs) Keep it to myself. <laughs> but my husband and I have been married for about 22 years. And um, when we met, I was at Bible college, and we had one of those amazing, um, you know, divine appointments within, you know, within, literally within days of meeting. We both knew. We were married within nine months uh, of meeting, and um, he, was, he had just planted our church when we got married. And so um, I joined him in ministry. I'd always felt the call of God on my life. And um, we, we, we church was growing. We were seeing people get saved. We were seeing people get healed. You know, it's a very exciting time. And as well as being in ministry, as, as Randy mentioned, God's favor was really on my life in the world of work as well. And so um, I kept getting promoted. And I remember in one, I think it was just two-year period, I was promoted five times. And my salary just kept multiplying. I don't just mean a little rise. I mean, like, multiplying. And um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I knew, understood nothing about money. And my husband would just be like, praise God, just keep it coming. Because <laughs> um, he was, he was when we met, he was a banker, and I was in PR, and we're both now in ministry. But, um, so God really promoted me, and and my favorite job was when I was working for Prince Charles. And um, I organized events at Buckingham Palace with the Queen, the Prime Minister, the leader of the opposition. There's a reason why I'm sharing all this. With captains of industry, celebrities. And so, you know, the, the job was absolutely fantastic. The church was growing. You know, I had this wonderful husband, and, 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 and a young family. And um, we just looked like a great Christian success story on the outside. Say the outside. Yeah. And you know, I, I remember after about 10 years of marriage, because you see, when I, when I married my husband, you know, I had this fairytale idea of what it was going to be like. And, you know, very quickly, I realized that although at one side, we have always been the very, very, very best of friends. And I've been so grateful to God. All our lives, we had that. We've always shared a love for the Lord and great friendship. But I had issues. And my issues were, were kind of, there, there were several of them, but I had no clue that I had any. And, but one of the things that really drove me in prayer where I knew I had issues, was I really struggled with intimacy. And so, you know, that would be fine as my husband said it, but he'd only asked God for three things out of a wife. He had said to the Lord, I want a woman who is called to London, whose ministry will dovetail with mine, and who to me is beautiful. And he said, I could handle it, Joe, if you look like the back end of a bus. But he said, to me, you're beautiful. And this area of my life caused so much pain to us both. But you see, two prayers went up from my heart over the first 10 years of marriage. One was, I was born with this desire to minister. I'm sure many of you were like that. There was something on the inside of me where I just, I, I, I could see myself ministering to multitudes it, virtually almost as soon as I got saved. And that prayer would come from my heart, but also I prayed so many times that I would be the wife of my husband. And something about those two prayers caused God to do a deep work on the inside of me. And so here I was, you know, my life looked great. Um, job title, I mean, it was wonderful doing dinner parties. Absolutely fantastic. Christian circles, had a great answer. Non-Christian circles, oh, what do you do? Well, I work for Prince Charles. You know, like, top that one. (laughs) Yes, actually, no, funny yesterday, the prime minister mentioned, you know, and all this stuff made me feel good about me. You know, being able to tell people my job gave me a sense of importance. You know, even when people in our church called me pastor, it made me feel important. You know, um, one, one, of, one, of my, one of the things I, I, I really struggled with was being called a pastor's wife. I don't know if anyone else does. I won't ask. But, and I'll tell you why. Because I would think, why am I being defined by his job? The only other... Role I could think of was farmers. You call them farmers' wives, but you don't say doctors' wives, or you know. And so I'd be introduced to someone, "Oh, this is the pastor's wife," and I'd want to go, but I'm important too. You see, I had issues, and but I didn't realise it because I looked like a great success, and the ministry was growing, you know, and and, and my job titles made me look like I had it all together. See, on the outside, it all looked good. But on the inside, there were issues. And one day, I was sitting. It was actually a pastor's meeting, and, and it was lunchtime. And that we, we were in this huge restaurant, and I was sitting with a group of about 20 couples, all in ministry, and a woman sat across the table from me. And she said, the problem with you, Joe, is it's all about position. Do your neighbor and say, ouch. You know, I had a choice that moment. I could either say, you're wrong. Because you see, I really did love God with all my heart. There was nothing more important to me, really, really, than giving him my all. But you see, there was so much truth in what he said, because position gave me a sense of validity. Are you hearing me? My achievements gave me a sense of validity. Being noticed gave me a sense of validity. And I remember looking back at this woman and saying, absolutely nothing, which was the right thing to do. And then she carried on. and She said, the honest truth is you have never faced the hurts from your childhood. And in that moment, for the first time in my life, truth entered my heart. Although I had no clue what she meant about my childhood, because, you know, our childhood, you see, our upbringing is all we've ever known. And so even if we know it wasn't perfect, it's all we've ever known. And so we just get on with it. But she said, the honest truth is you've never faced the pain from your childhood. And I broke. And this was the truth I faced. I remember in that moment, the spirit of truth broke into my heart. You've got to remember, I'm surrounded by about 30 pastors and ministers and a room full of people eating their lunch in a random restaurant. But in that moment, I am facing the truth for the first time. And I broke down and I wept. And this is the truth I'm facing. You take away my job title. If you take away my ministry, you take away my achievements. You take away my husband, because at least that proves, you know, he loves me. Just Joe, I am not enough. And I broke down and wept. As for the first time, I faced the truth. You know, that was the beginning of the most extraordinary journey of my life, of allowing God into the deepest parts of my heart. You know, we look at Saul, who became King Saul. You know, he was raised in what would have been the equivalent if he was around in 21st century America. He was raised in the equivalent of a nice Christian home. We, we don't know what it was about his upbringing that made him end up feeling so inadequate. It may have been, you know, the Bible, is, the Bible never says anything by accident, does it? It's all there for a purpose. And it says that Saul was the son of a really successful, powerful, wealthy man called King. You know, sometimes it's hard to be raised in a home where someone else is absolutely amazing. Maybe it was just this horrible sense of I can never live up to his expectations. I don't know. Maybe it was that. Maybe, you know, the name Kish actually means bent. I don't know. I can't, and I wouldn't even want to suggest. But all I'm saying is, you see, in fact, have, have you got my tree? I got my tree. Wonderful. You see, if I can put it this way, there is never a fruit without a root. The Bible says that a tree bears fruit after its own kind. And there can never be a fruit in our lives without a root. And I don't know how well you can see that, but I'm going to tell you what it says. You see, Here we've got some fruits on this tree. One of them is called notice me. You know, when we just really want people to notice when we've done something good. When we really want other people to affirm the great thing we've just done. Another is called hide me, was what Saul was doing. You know, sometimes hide me and notice me are just opposite ends of the exact same stick. Opposite sides of the same coin. Praise me. Don't criticize me. You know, this, this is a good one. There's never a fruit without a root. You see, the Bible says that correction is the way to life. It says it in so many different ways in the book of Proverbs that words of correction are there for us to live a great life. So if correction is there to build me up and transform me into a woman God can use, why do I feel defensive? When someone points out my flaws and failings. You know, why do... If someone says, you really missed it in that area, why would I deflect and say, well, did you see the way you handled it? Are you hearing me? You know, Rebecca, in the Bible, um, you remember the story, Isaac and Rebecca were believing God to have children for 20 years. Eventually, Rebecca gets pregnant And it just doesn't feel right. Something on the inside doesn't feel right. We don't know whether she was in pain. We don't know whether she was churning. But she prayed a monumental prayer. She said, if all is well, then why am I like this? That became my prayer for a long time. You know, if if somebody didn't thank me for the good thing I'd just done in church... And I felt really upset about If all is well, why am I like this, Lord? You know, if someone overlooks you or ignores you and it hurts, well, if all is well, then why am I reacting like that? You know, if, if, if those of us who, who are married, I, I don't know if this is more of a woman thing, but on the phone to the husband, suddenly he goes, got to go, got to go, in a rush, hang up. How many women, your husband does that? Gotta go, gotta go. Suddenly, suddenly, like something, and and suddenly they're gone, and you're thinking, Oh dear, what did I do wrong? What's happened now? If all is well, then why do I react on the inside when really normal things happen around me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, King Saul, if all is well, then why did he feel inadequate when the call of God? If all was well, then why was he hiding? If all was well, then why did he need to feed on the praises of people? If all is well, you see, you see that the praises of people are, are such a trap. And if all is well, then we wouldn't need people to give that feedback and that affirmation. I want to look again at this, you see. This is my, I call it my soul tree. And I, I would have brought it, but it's a little—it's a little large to travel with. Um, but you see, these are the fruits. You know, when 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 we get defensive, when we feel insecure, when someone asks us to do something and we're saying, "Oh no, no, don't don't make the light shine on me," "Oh no, I like to be behind the scenes." You know, I've never seen a shy baby born. Has anyone? I mean, they come out and the first thing they do is go, they are not shy at birth. You see, if all is well, then why am I like this? But I want to just mention four roots here. Because you see, wherever there is a fruit in our lives, there has to be a root. We can't have fruits Without roots, and I just want to mention a couple of these quickly, and a couple I want to go into in a bit more depth. Words, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. You know, recently I was ministering to somebody. She came to Healed for Life, um, our, our two-day encounter event that 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 we run here in America as well as the UK, and she was at one of our Healed for Life conferences. And she'd been in ministry for years, serving. She was a worship leader, part of the church leadership, but always had this horrible sense of, you know, inadequacy. One of those people that, I mean, very anointed, but always wanting to take a step back. And um, at Healed for Life, it was absolutely extraordinary. You see, she'd always been aware of these words that teachers had spoken But she'd never realized that they had become her truth. So she'd been told at a young age, you know, you're you're, you're never going to amount to anything by maths teacher and physics teacher. And, And the other one said, you're stupid, you're thick. She was about seven at the time. And all her life, these words had framed her view of who she was. Even, she was the sort of person, very capable, but if you even said, oh, could you have a quick look over this contract? She was in full-time ministry. Could you have a look over this contract? She'd, say, she'd hand it to someone else to look because she believed still those words that had been spoken decades earlier. She was very defensive because if you tried to correct her, that, you know, you just focus in this way a bit, she felt that you were affirming her dim view of herself. See, where there's a fruit, there has to be a root. And sometimes those words that have been spoken have ended up stunting our growth. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll be the words that are spoken, you'll never manage to achieve that. And those words end up rooting themselves on the inside of us and God wants to pull some things out today. Another route that I've mentioned here, obviously these aren't all of them, but tainted love. And let me use a different word. You know, I I went to God and I remember saying to the Lord, Father, why was I such a mess? You know, what what was my issue? Because although our family had seriously its fair share of, 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 of trouble and we... We were split and we lived in different countries from each other and we had court cases and violence and all that stuff, but I always knew my parents loved me. And so I remember going to the Lord and saying, you know, why was I so full of rejection? Because I knew my mum and my dad. And it was so interesting what God showed me. showed me the whole issue of conditional love when we are raised up in a home. And, you know, the thing, the thing about it is, you know, I've had children and they were not born with a manual strapped to their thighs saying, this is how to raise me, you know. And, and our parents weren't, you know, they, 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 weren't, they weren't given a manual when we arrived. And so mistakes happen. But if we're raised in an atmosphere when we get praised when we do things well. In other words, love comes when we've achieved. Love comes when we've been good. Love comes when, when we've done well at school. Then this is what happens. Praises equal approval. And so correction equals rejection. So anytime someone... is is identifying my shortcomings, actually what they're doing is rejecting me. Conditional love is one of the most unstabilizing atmospheres that we can grow up in. Because we grow up never feeling completely secure, thinking if I just work a bit harder, then, then, then maybe I'll get a bit more love. Unconditional love is the premise that I am loved irrespective of how I'm behaving, of what I'm doing. And so many times growing up, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was Saul's background. He grew up in a, in a context of conditional love, high achieving home. And so when things go well, yes, we're praising you. When they don't, there's an absence of love. You know, our, the, the love that we receive growing up is supposed to be like scaffolding. It's supposed to be like a trellis. Do you know that word here, trellis? what a plant grows up, that wooden trellis. But you see, if it's coming and going, then we end up not knowing what our boundaries are, not understanding our intrinsic value just because that's who we are. Unconditional love. And as a result, you know, you see, our heart determines the course of our lives. And the thing is, if praises can build me up, then criticism can tear me down. And you know, it's, it's really the mercy of God that some of our dreams aren't yet fulfilled. Are you hearing me? Because you see, God knows that, you see what happened with Saul? He got promoted while he was still insecure. And it revealed all the cracks in his foundations. And as a result, he never fulfilled. I find it so extraordinary reading the story of when he lost it all. Because the two things Samuel said is one time he said, Your your kingdom's been taken away from you and given to another. But you know what the other one says? When when he's speaking in the voice of God, he says, I I would have even given you an everlasting kingdom. What does that mean? That maybe it would have been Jesus, son of Saul? That's what the Bible says. I would even have given you. Why would God have started off with plan B or plan C? But you see the issues of his heart. He was thriving on people's praises. You know, and I I remember the more I started to understand this and realize this and realize, you know, my own heart, I I ended up being more preoccupied with praying, God, do not raise me up until it won't change me. Do not raise me up until ministering to 10,000 people doesn't make me think I'm more important than I was yesterday. Are you hearing me? Because you see, God wants us to reach a place where we are so secure in being completely and utterly loved just for being who we are, his little girl, his little boy, that we can be liked, we can be disliked. Are you hearing me? We can be applauded, we can be reprimanded, but we still know that doesn't change who I am. I'm still completely and utterly loved. Hallelujah. You know, the other one I want to touch on is loss, and I could use the word trauma. You know, so many times we go through traumas, we go through loss, and it ends up defining us. Do you remember the story of Naomi? And she returns to Bethlehem, she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She feels bereft. And she goes back home to Bethlehem. And they're going, wow, Naomi's coming home. And they're welcoming her. And she says, do not call me Naomi. Because it means pleasant. It means our delight. Just call me Mara. It means bitter. In other words, she's saying tragedy has defined. tragedy has defined me. I believe there are people here and you have gone through too much tragedy. And you see, the enemy wants to try and define us by the negative experiences we go through. You know, God wants us to be defined by one thing, by who we are in his presence. Do you know, I believe that one of the greatest lies the devil tells is that there's something so bad will never um, Several years ago, my husband and I, we, we have two wonderful children, as I mentioned, but um, our first daughter was called Naomi. And just before her second birthday, she very suddenly died. She contracted a virulent form of meningitis that had no rash. And literally Monday, she was running around the shopping mall, being as cheeky and funny as ever. Tuesday, well, Monday night, she became sick. Tuesday, we took her into hospital. Wednesday morning, 7. My little girl, and at the time, our only child died, suddenly torn from us. And it was... You know, one $10 shot of antibiotics would have saved my little girl's life. But not only was she so tragically taken from us, but also there was medical negligence involved. And so as a result, the medical consultant came to our home four weeks after she died. And he sat with us for hours. He was in our home for four hours as he talked with us about the issues and explained, basically, their errors. And they made major changes within the entire hospital trust as a result of the errors they made. But he sat with us and he said these words. He said, you will never get over this. And he was saying those words out of, he was a Jewish man, a very loving Man. He wasn't actually present until very late on the night that she died or the early hours of the morning. But he said those words for a reason. He was actually trying to reassure us that our daughter was so important that we would always carry that pain with us. And you know, I really believe it with, with, with all sensitivity and respect that one of for what people have gone through, but that one of the lies the enemy tries to tell us is that, that there's something so bad you never fully recover. But you see, the Bible doesn't say that. It says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And you see, over the weeks and months after our little girl died, God did supernatural miracle after supernatural miracle, where we felt him reach his hand into our hearts and literally pull pain out. And I stand before you today as someone who has no sadness about my little girl in heaven. No pain, no regret, No desire to be able to turn back the clock and change things. Because, you see, God is the God who is able to to minister into those places. And, you see, you know, abuse is up there as one of those horrible roots that produces some such painful roots. And the enemy tries to tell people who've been defiled, who've been touched, who've been abused, that, you know what, you may become a survivor But you'll always carry in some way or other the marks of that, but the Bible doesn't say it. You see, he's the God who is able to do a complete and total restoration in every area of our hearts and lives. He is able. You know, there's an extraordinary scripture, and it says, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You know, and and that is the heart of God towards anyone who has gone through that kind of defiling experience. But God is able to do a work so that we come out the other side, not just having survived, not just having got through, but with such a complete healing but instead of carrying pain, and this is what God did for me, he turned my river of pain into a spring of healing. He took away every sadness, every sorrow from, I mean, I haven't told you about my child, but through that, he, he restored my marriage. And he, he has done this work. And there is nothing that God can't do in our lives. It's never too late. You know, we were recently at one of our Healed for Life events. A 73-year-old woman who was molested age three, she'd been in ministry for 30 years, all her life, she has felt just a bit dirty, all her life, and age 73. God went to the roots. He healed her heart of that molestation. And then he cleansed her and he dealt with that unclean spirit. And she left that place, age 73, saying, I'm ready to step into the next season of my life. There is nothing that God can't deal with. I would just love to ask the the, the keyboardist and maybe one singer just to come and help with that song again, Your Love is Supernatural. You know, I believe that God wants to shine his light into the depths of our hearts this evening. You know, I am, I am so grateful to God for that day when for the first time in my life, I faced a kind of truth I'd never faced before. You know, I really believe that if Saul... You know, if he'd been around today, he would have had the benefit of the Holy Spirit. You know, but I really believe that if Saul had allowed God to just deal with those inadequacies, that sense of insecurity, that sense of just not quite being good enough. You know, the enemy loves to target people in ministry. Hit the shepherds. And he loves us to just believe that we're, you know, so many times he ends up convincing us that we're an accidental leader or we're not really quite as fit for purpose as someone else may have been. If all is well, then why? I just want to invite you to stand in the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. And sinks within me. You know, if you're carrying any memory, I really sensed as I was preparing that there are people and you've been through things that have just been traumatizing. And you know, any memory that causes that feeling, my soul sinks within me, is a memory not yet healed. Any memory that I want to recoil from, turn away from, is a memory not healed. Just with your eyes shut in the presence of the Lord, I just want to invite you to open up your heart in God's presence. If he's brought back memories to you, maybe maybe like me as I've been sharing, you've realized that you just don't feel that you're enough. Maybe as you, if if you look with real honesty
0: and allow the spirit of truth
1: to shine into your heart, you've never felt enough. Just like Saul, why are you asking me? But the Lord God himself wants to reach down into those places of our hearts. He wants to shine his light into every area of hidden pain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, God, just open your heart to the Lord right now. The Bible says in Romans chapter nine, it says, "In the place where it was said to them, "You're not my people. In that very place I will say to you, you are my beloved." In other words, God takes us back to the places, where we felt cast off, where we felt pushed away. And in that very memory, he brings his love. Thank you, Jesus. I just want you to, as we just sing the chorus, your love is supernatural. There is something so powerful about the love of God. Just open your heart right now. It's eternal. Super Lord, just right now, I want to encourage you. If God has been speaking to you, if you have felt just God lifting things in your heart, just lift up your hands in the presence of the Lord right now, wherever you are. Just lift your hands in the presence of the Lord. If He's been speaking into some area of your heart, brought back a memory, some sense of rejection or inadequacy, whether it's something you went through. I just want you to now start to talk to God. The Bible says, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Just start to talk to the Lord about what you've gone through. Just talk to him in these moments. Thank you, Jesus. Your love
2: is supernatural.
1: wants to reach into those places thank you Jesus I just want to give you an opportunity I can see God touching so many hearts in this place you know it's so good to respond I remember after my daughter died making a decision I'd rather look silly and get healed I'd rather be undignified and get healed And you know, I I, I just want to encourage you right now. If you have sensed God stirring anything on the inside, just come and kneel at the altar. Because I believe that the Lord wants to heal so many. Just come and kneel at the altar. Thank you, Jesus. Just as the team continue to sing. Thank you, Jesus. Don't miss this moment. The Spirit of the Lord is here to heal. Just come and kneel at the altar. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, Through this awesome love that you for Thank you, Jesus. Just talk to the Lord. Tell Him about every pain. Thank you, Jesus. You know, about a month ago, my, my daughter. My daughter had a really severe cycling accident and she looked like something out of a horror movie her whole face was covered in blood she needed stitches all over she fractured her jaw in two places fractured her wrist and I was here in America and I remember getting back home you see it's not just those huge things that happened decades ago I remember getting back home. I wasn't there when my baby needed me. I remember getting into the presence of God and saying, Lord, I wasn't there for Abby. She needed me, God, and I was not there for her. And I poured out my heart in his presence. Let me tell you why it's important. You see, if I never did that, if I hadn't poured out that sense of failure, Of not being there for my little girl. How could I have come back a month later? How could I have got on with my destiny? You know, when we're carrying stuff, it clogs up and clutters our hearts. And the Lord is saying, come to me and offload, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Again, as we sing this song, if you're carrying something, I want to encourage you because the presence of the Lord is here to heal. I want to encourage you to come to the altar or even where you are just to kneel in your seat or sit down and start to speak to the Lord about those things and how it made you feel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Your love is supernatural. Thank you, Jesus. just want to invite everyone just to shut your eyes and lift up your hands in the presence of the Lord. It's amazing the power of having a, a, a deep understanding of the unconditional love of our God. And you know, to me, it is astonishing that Jesus, Jesus, he was God. And yet God knew that he needed to be publicly affirmed before he could do anything of value in the ministry. And I just believe that the Lord wants to speak those words of affirmation in this place those same words that he spoke over his son and so right now I just want to speak those words the Bible says I love this in Ezekiel 3.10 it says receive my words into your heart so often it's the damaging hurtful words of others that have framed us the Bible says receive my words into your heart so right now I just want to encourage you with your hands raised. Just the men first, the sons of God in the house. I just want you to shut your eyes and picture Daddy God, our Father, standing in front of you. And he says to you, you are my beloved son. I love you, my son. Not because of the things you do for me. I love you, my son. Not because of how you serve me. I love you, my son. Not because of your gifts and talents. I love you, my son. Because you're mine. Because you belong to me. I love you, and in you my heart rejoices. In you, I am well pleased. And the daughters in the house, just lift up your hands with your eyes shut and just hear those words of affirmation. And the Lord God says to you, you are my well-loved daughter. You are my little girl. I love you, my daughter. Not because of the things you do to serve others. I love you, my daughter. Not because of your gifts or your talents. I love you, my daughter. Just because you are mine. You are my little girl. You belong to me. And in you, my heart rejoices. In you, I am well pleased. Hallelujah. Why don't we put our hands together for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I have brought some books with me. Um, I have brought my latest book, Doorway to Your Destiny, How to Accelerate Your Transformation Based on the Life of Joseph. If you've got a promise and you've been really waiting on God to, to bring it to pass, this is going to show the character transformation that God did in Joseph to get him ready to be one of the greatest servant leaders that, that, that history ever saw. Um, Lifting the mask, who are you when no one is looking? And it takes people on a healing journey. It's based on the Song of Songs. I always thought that was just about marriage until God showed me a very broken, hurting woman called the Shulamite and how God did an extraordinary work in her. And this, um, this is available as well. Dream Stealers: how to stop your destiny being stolen. And it deals with what I call seven heart diseases. Insecurity, worrying what people think, pride, defensiveness. There are seven of them. And um, finally, 30 day detox for your soul. Um, this is the one that um, brought me first to America a couple of years ago. And it takes you on a 30 day journey. First 10 days are called offload, deals with things like disappointment, issues that have cr- crushed our confidence. Um, second 10 days are called clean out deals with things like guilt, distraction, and the third 10 days are called build-up. I've got more of this with me than the others, um, but they're all there at the book table. But God bless you. Thank you so much.